Hello everyone, my name is Michael and welcome to this week's edition of the Weekly Climate. Everything, September 5, 2020, Copenhagen. In November 2018, I had just started on my climate journey when this happened. The Sunrise Movement stormed Nancy Pelosi's office in the White House. AOC joined them and the Green New Deal was born. Back then I was puzzled. I thought the Green New Deal was some weird attempt at jamming all kinds of social policies into a climate agenda. But boy was I wrong. A major realization that I've had over the past couple of years is that solving the climate crisis is not about making sure that climate change doesn't kill us. The more you dive in, the more you realize that preventing climate change from killing us isn't actually about stopping greenhouse gas emissions and removing already emitted greenhouse gases. Doing that, which we of course still need to do, is just one positive side effect of solving the climate crisis. That part is just an engineering challenge of the climate crisis. And I'm an engineer. Trust me, we can do that. No problem. But once you realize that we technically could solve it, you start to think about why we haven't solved it. And that makes you realize that the climate crisis is just the effect of the real underlying cause of the climate crisis, human activities. The problem is not greenhouse gas emissions, but the fact that every human activity in our modern life causes them. When you look at it from that angle and then look at the world, you realize that we are relatively few countries in the world today that live in modernity, the so-called developed countries. Whereas the majority of countries today are still developing. And it's us, the developed countries, that got us into this mess. If you then look at emissions per capita across the world, you see this. And in the newsletter, I have a world map showing mapping the per capita CO2 emissions of all countries. And you can clearly see that it is the developed countries that has the highest per capita CO2 emissions. But if you look at this world map, then you realize that if all developing countries want the same living standards as we in the developed world have, that likely means at least a quadrupling of their per capita carbon emissions which leads to an even bigger climate disaster than what we're already heading towards. And that is why solving the climate crisis is not really about stopping carbon emissions and removing already emitted emissions, but about building the new future for the whole of humanity that we want. And yes, one feature of that future is zero carbon emissions, but that one is just a small part. We have to build a world that allows developing countries to develop and the already developed countries to decarbonize, all the while we still stay within our planetary resource boundaries. The implication of motivating a zero-carbon world, not from a climate change perspective, but from a perspective of a better life for everyone on the planet, is disruptive because nobody, not even the biggest anti-climate action organizations such as the fossil fuel industry lobby, can fight it. As we have already seen in the past new newsletters, there are plenty of non-climate change reasons to want a zero-carbon world. It's simply just a better future. But to get to that future, we must first envision it. What does such a future look like? How will your daily life change? And now for the quick overview. Climate and science. More massive holes in the Siberian tundra has been discovered. Researchers believe these have been made by an escaped methane, which have escaped due to melting permafrost. Plus, a study of the Bering Sea indicates that melting there is experiencing a 100-year delay in reaction on current CO2 levels. Technology. Solar panels have come down so much in price, in fact nine times since 2006, that if you just five years ago considered to put solar on your roof, but concluded it was too expensive, then you need to look again. 
Also, solar and wind installations worldwide account for 66% of all installed electricity capacity. Finally, anti-solar panels, anyone? Startups. Lots of startup funding this week, and we dive into a couple of interesting. The most interesting one is Hybrid, a Swedish startup that aims to build a factory that produces fossil-free steel. Major emitters. Lots of activity from the emitters this week. Most interesting is that fracking bankruptcies continue at an unprecedented pace, now expecting up to 150 by the end of the year. And what's even better is that nobody wants to buy their assets. In addition, China's big oil are pitching to go zero carbon by 2050. Yeah, we'll see. Politics. Extinction Rebellion has carried out a lot of demonstrations in the UK this week. Climate justice. Lots of lawsuits. 33 Portuguese children sue countries in the EU, and Hoboken, New Jersey sues Big Oil for misinformation related to climate change. The Long Overview. For those who want to dive deeper, brace yourselves. The Long Overview is coming. And we start off with stories we follow. California power outages amidst the heat waves. And a quick overview. California has experienced a series of rolling blackouts from August 16 through 18 as a result of high power demand and a few mishaps. What we know is the power demand was high, but not higher than usual, when solar started to drop and a fossil gas power plant went offline. And now for news this week. New heat waves are expected to hit California this weekend. It will be interesting to see how the grid will deal with these, as the scenario is more or less the same as when the blackouts occurred a couple of weeks ago. Scorching heat. 46 degrees centigrade is expected in LA, and in fact, quite a lot of heat records were beaten this weekend. And we're going to see a very little temperature drop during the evenings. Measures are being taken to prevent more blackouts, as it was decided to let four fossil gas plants stay open, which otherwise was scheduled to close by the end of the year. On the fire side of things, fortunately, firefighters are making headway against two major fire complexes, which are now 40% contained. However, the many fires are spurring another crisis, which is that homeowners in the affected areas can't get insurance on their properties. This just goes to show how all-encompassing the climate crisis is and will be. If you want to try to understand what it's like living in a wildfire-prone area, there I link to an article in the newsletter which gives a first-person view of the living with these wildfires. U.S. presidential election. And a quick overview. The U.S. is a major emitter and are run by a climate skeptic and a fossil fuel-friendly person. We need a change, and after Joe Biden was elected as a Democratic candidate, that change has to be him. Hence, we keep a close watch on his climate aspirations. And the news this week. California Attorney General has sued Trump for the hundredth times in his four years for violating the law. Last Monday, Trump ruled back regulation, which means that less limits on how power plants can dispose of their toxic waste, and introduced a new rule that enables oil drilling in the U.S. national forests. To put it bluntly, as Green Take Media does, if Trump wins, climate action will be postponed out into the 2050s, whereas Biden's plan could put the US on a path to decarbonize by 2035. Still, activists still need to put pressure on Biden to exclude fossil fuel executives and lobby organizations from his transition team if he wins the election. But it does seem as if he still wants to keep fossil gas as part of the mix. However, on the heavy side of things, Trump's uh, vow in 2016 to keep coal plants open hasn't worked. Despite trying to do a lot and throwing billions of taxpayer dollars after it, coal power in the US is down 31% from 2016 levels. And this year was just passed by renewables.
And now for some climate and science news. NASA has funded eight new projects that will explore connections between COVID and climate change. For instance, when stay-at-home orders started the world over, the U.S. Forest Service decided to temporarily suspend controlled burns. And controlled burns are done in order to limit wildfires. And the study will examine what this means for the current fire season. If you want to see something scary, take a look at these massive holes in the Siberian tundra. And obviously in the newsletter, we link to an article that shows these. Unfortunately, it looks like these massive holes are starting to appear again. So what are they? Massive releases of methane, which is a greenhouse gas that is 30 times more powerful than CO2, and the releases are happening due to thawing permafrost. And related, it's not just the US that are experiencing devastating forest fires. Wildfires in the Arctic has already released 35% more CO2 than in 2019. The smoke from these fires cover an area as large as the EU landmass. In particular, the Siberian Arctic are hard hit. Peatlands are also threatened, which are vegetations that contain very high amounts of carbon. In fact, a recent study indicated that peatlands store about half the amount of carbon contained in all trees. In particular, the Siberian Arctic fires are hard to put out, and in the newsletter I link to a video that shows this, because they are often burning completely unpopulated areas. However, not putting them out will also result in methane emissions, as we have mentioned in the previous news item. 2018 was a weird and worrying year for the Bering Sea. By May, the sea ice was completely gone, about one month ahead of schedule. There hasn't been a winter like this in the Bering Sea for 5,500 years. But what's more worrying is that a team of researchers has uncovered that the sea appears to be reacting on increases in carbon dioxide levels from 100 years ago, suggesting that there's a 100-year lag between carbon emissions and sea ice reaction. If this is true, then there's probably nothing we can do to prevent the Bering Sea from being permanently ice-free. It would be interesting to learn whether this lag is just true for the Bering Sea or whether it's true for all ice-covered areas, as Greenland and the Arctic are already melting at worst-case rates. And now for technology news. A topic that in my opinion is just too debated is how much better electric cars are. There's been a number of studies about that they pollute as much as internal combustion engine cars. And then a number of counter-studies that have shown that that is not the case. And here's another study that shows that they pollute very, very little. And a big change in this study is that this study uses updated numbers on how much battery production pollutes. In 2017, battery production emitted 175 kilograms CO2 per kilowatt hour. And that number has in 2019 dropped to 85 kilograms per kilowatt hour. And more news about electric cars. The vehicle-to-grid V2G technology will be key to achieving a zero-carbon future. However, at present, only cars equipped with the so-called shadow mode charging technology can provide V2G services, and currently only Nissan has that. Those of us with CCS, one of the most popular charging technologies, will not be able to provide V2G services until at least 2025. An anti-solar panel? It sounds like a fossil fuel industry scheme, but it's not. In fact, it's a new technology developed by researchers that utilizes the fact that at night the surface of the earth cools and radiates the heat back. This new thermoelectric generator utilizes an effect known as the Seebeck effect. Fossil gas is struggling to compete with batteries. In order to deploy vast amounts of renewable energy, we need batteries for when the renewables are not available. Usually this is a great job for fossil gas peaker plants that sits idle until renewables run out of juice. The big utility-scale pika plants are now having bigger and bigger problems with competing with batteries as the cost of batteries are falling even more rapidly than solar. And while we're talking about solar power price drops, 
Solar power is falling so rapidly in price nine times in 2006 that if you just considered to put solar power on your roof just five years ago, but decided against it because it was too expensive, then you need to look again. And that is actually a problem because most people do not expect so rapid price drops. That's why solar power companies in the US are launching a campaign to tell people about it. And we end the technology section on a sunny and windy note. The world added more solar power and wind than anything in 2019. Total solar installations amounted to 119 gigawatts, which represents 45% of all new capacity added to the grid that year. Together, wind and solar accounted for 66% of all new capacity, which is up from 25% last year. On the literal dark side of that is coal. We still added 39 gigawatt of coal last year, which is also up from a 10-year low of 19 gigawatts in 2018. And now for some startup news. Two interesting AI startups have raised funding. California-based Mist AI, a $6 million Series A, and EU-based Overstory, a $2 million seed. Both companies want to help utilities de-risk dangers of climate change. Mist AI tries to forecast renewable energy production, and Overstory uses satellite data to help utilities track forest growth. SenseHawk, a software-as-a-service startup that helps customers develop, build, and operate solar farms, has raised $5.1 million in Series A funding. The platform is used by over 80 customers, with 28 gigawatts of solar assets deployed in over 15 countries. An electric motorcycle taxi service is launching in Kenya, called EcoBoda. Motorcycle is the fastest way to get around in Kenya. EcoBoda started off using regular internal combustion engine bikes, but after analyzing the data from the trips they were making, they ended up designing an electric motorbike together with a Chinese firm. The bike makes it possible for drivers to exchange the battery en route, which is simple in Kenya as passengers tend to use the same pickup points. As it turned out, it's saving the company a ton of money. A Swedish startup hybrid just launched a pilot program to build a fossil-free steel plant. Steel production worldwide accounts for 8-9% to of CO2 emissions, and most of these emissions come from the energy needed to produce steel, which is typically coal-powered. Hybrid's factory, though, will use electricity from renewable energy and hydrogen to produce steel and water instead of steel and carbon dioxide. After 10 years in stealth, the company QuantumScape appears in the so-called SPAC IPO, at a valuation of $4.1 billion. QuantumScape has developed a pure lithium battery technology, which is the holy grail of batteries, but which have always been out of reach due to these types of batteries' fire problems. QuantumScape claims to have solved all of lithium's problems. And now for some news about major carbon emitters. Fracking bankruptcies continue and apparently nobody wants to buy their assets. Great news, as this hopefully means they'll be gone forever. Last week we reported that 36 fracking companies had declared bankruptcy and now that number is 57. And we reported that 100 companies expected to declare bankruptcy, but that number is now 150. However, the bankruptcies may still hurt the climate as it has been documented that many bankrupt fracking companies leave their wells leaking methane. But they're not just going to hurt the climate, but also communities as many people stand to lose their jobs with these bankruptcies. China's oil giants also announced net zero ambitions. I'm still skeptical that the fossil fuel industry will ever follow through on these, but it's probably a good thing that other countries' big oil companies start to make these claims as well. One could hope for a FOMO thing rising in the fossil fuel industry the world over. The fossil fuel industry is in trouble. Therefore, it is looking elsewhere for profits. Plastic in Kenya. 
The fossil fuel industry is lobbying the US to object against Kenya's imposed plastic bag ban, as well as forcing the country to accept more plastic garbage as it used to. A study by the University of Oxford shows that utility companies are working against a global zero-carbon world. The study analyzed activities by more than 3,000 companies over the past two decades and concludes that the utilities are not investing nearly enough in non-fossil fuel sources to reach a zero-carbon world. The Marathon refinery in Detroit is being supported heavily by the US government in terms of government bonds, while it's been unleashing environmental death and destruction in the surrounding neighborhoods. In February 2019, a rupture of a propane pipeline caused people living in the neighborhood to experience labored breathing and vomiting. Not only that, but the Marathon refinery is the 33rd worst polluter in the US and it is disproportionately affect communities of color. It is a disgrace and once again just goes to show how deep the fossil fuel lobby are screwing our governments. And now for some news about politics. Extinction Rebellion in the UK are hard at work trying to force the government to back a climate bill. They delivered massive demonstrations across the UK the past week. And now, climate justice. Portuguese children sue 33 countries through the European Court of Human Rights, demanding that the states make more ambitious emission cuts in order to safeguard their future physical and mental well-being. And more lawsuits. Hoboken, New Jersey becomes the first New Jersey city to sue big oil companies and the American Petroleum Institute, API, for climate change damages. The suit especially attacks big oil and API's decades of misinformation, saying that this led to worse damage from climate change. Arlington, Texas has stopped the expansion of a fragging site citing racial injustice. The new sites would expand into Hispanic and black neighborhoods. However, it is unclear whether the city violated state laws that might reverse the decision. Sunrun and Grid Alternatives have said in a joint press release that they will provide 100% free solar power to low-income homeowners in wildfire-prone areas. Well done. And now for your listening pleasure, podcasts. How to Save a Planet, episode 20 Million Trees. This episode is about Mr. Beast's campaign to raise $20 million to plant 20 million trees and how he used social media and his 20 million followers to reach that goal. Best environmental crowdfunding until that point was $3 million for a showerhead that uses less water. They discuss the campaign with the campaign director and discusses trees as a climate solution in general. Decouple. Episode, Stand Up for Nuclear featuring Paris Ortiz Wines. Dr. Kiefer interviews the director for outreach at Stand Up for Nuclear, which is a pro-nuclear organization, obviously. It's a great discussion about talking to the public about nuclear energy. My Climate Journey. Remember bonus episode. Episode Nan Runterhoff and Ryan Orbuk, Stripe Climate Team. Jason interviews Nan and Ryan from Stripe, the company that makes payments work across the internet. Stripe has realized that climate change poses a long-term risk to its mission of growing the GDP of the internet, and that is why it is taking bold climate commitments for a tech company. That's it for this week, folks. If you feel like I'm missing something, please let me know at michael at weeklyclimate.com. And if you enjoy this newsletter, don't forget to share it with your friends, co-workers, and people you think could benefit from reading or listening to it. And if you got directed here by a friend or another link on the internet, don't forget to subscribe either to the podcast and or the newsletter. See you all next week.